I'm really enjoying our current sermon series, which is entitled Dimensions of Hope. And we have discovered a number of dimensions of hope. The brief video that we have used at the beginning of each of these shows hope as a living, growing thing. And this is made explicitly clear in today's Bible passage from the first epistle of Peter, 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Three powerful phrases in this verse. The new birth, the living hope, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The new birth, here is Peter, three or four decades after the beginning of his faith in Christ, and uh, now an elder in the church, and many are depending on him for leadership into the new journey of the church. But he reminds himself and others that it all begins with the new birth, with his new birth. And when he, when he said this, I'm sure he remembered the time he heard Jesus teaching, you must be born again. The new birth is the beginning of it all. And he believed that created in him a new life. And so the living hope, the second of these three phrases, living hope comes from the new birth. And both of these are the result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of these are about life, and they're all about spiritual life, and they're all about eternal life. So this is the way we begin today's biology lesson. You ready? Wow, have we learned a lot. When I was a biology major in college, we had just begun to learn about the process of uh, of uh, genetic materials and how they perpetuated the species and how uh, the, the, the joining of two different individuals could affect all that. DNA was a brand new thing back in 1958. So you see inside that test tube, that coil called a double helix, that is DNA. And if you look at DNA inside the cell of a plant like this, it's the same wonderful structure as the DNA inside of you and me. Amazing thing about life. This DNA is the secret to it all. And if you look at this plant and you take a leaf from the plant, take one of the cells of that leaf and break it down under a microscope, you'll find DNA. And if you look at the stem or the root, go down, you'll find the same kind of DNA in that plant, in all parts of that plant. 
Well, <clears throat> you can go to the store and buy a can of uh, mixed nuts, or you can go, uh, my father used to have, a, in the hardware store, we had loose grass seed. You could buy rye, rye grass, you could buy this kind of grass, or you could buy mixed grass seed. I remember scooping that out into bags. We sold it by the pound. And it was a surprise as to what kind of grass was going to grow out of that. Because each one of these seeds creates a different kind of plant. And the seeds, they look different, different color, different size, but they have more in common than the plant. What a difference it makes when these seeds germinate and when the plant emerges and possibly even a tree, the flowers, and then they produce seeds that go on. And you remember going out and picking a dandelion when it was uh, ready and you take you kind of blow on it and look at those little parachutes go all over the place. And the interesting thing is that dandelion, if you look at one cell in the stem of the dandelion or in the leaf of the dandelion or the root of the dandelion, you'll find the same DNA. But if you take the seed, that thing flying off, there's gonna be a difference because that DNA is made out of that plant's material and the pollen that came from another plant. So that's how the species perpetuates itself, and yet the DNA keeps it true to its species. That never changes. I'm amazed, you know, going back and reading Genesis uh, with this in mind, you see some fascinating things. Look in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, on the... Uh, I think it's the fourth day of creation. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. So the ancients who observed this saw two different kinds of seeds. Some plants where the seed, you could see the seed, and other plants, you had to chew the apple to find the seed. And a lot of these were trees. So they recognized these differences, though they didn't know about DNA. And it was so, verse 12, the earth brought forth vegetation. Now, I was reading a commentator. He pointed out, went back and checked this, that the Hebrew actually says, and the, uh, the, the earth, the same word for the brought forth in vegetation, the earth vegetated vegetation. It's almost as if the earth itself was alive in bringing forth the vegetation and plants yielding seed of every kind and trees of every kind bearing fruit with seed in it and God saw that it was good. Oh boy, it's almost like looking into a test tube in a modern science lab as we read this. This, some plants, uh, the seed is in itself. That is, the same nature is in the seed as is in the plant. That's DNA. And then when we go down and look at animals in chapter 1, verse 24. And God said, now I'm going to read this from the King James Version because 
This is one of the few places where the King James Version is more accurate than the modern versions which tried to improve it, okay? I'll tell you why. And God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after its kind. Now your pew Bible says, let the earth bring forth living creature of all kinds. But that's not what the Hebrew really says. It's a sloppy translation, I think. After its kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the field after its kind, and it was so. There's a recognition there that the, the secret of God's creation is that things reproduce. So God doesn't have to recreate in every generation. And that they reproduce after their kind so that they follow the same genetic lines in perpetuity. That's a wonderful thing we, we kind of take for granted. Our biology lesson reminds us of this and we see it in that first Peter in those three phrases, the new birth, the living hope, and the resurrection. The DNA of eternal life is in the new birth. And the DNA of eternal life is in the living hope. And they both are related to the resurrection of Jesus Christ where the DNA of new life originates. Now what that means that is that our Christian hope is never a matter of odds like the things in our life, you know, we, we'll talk about this in a moment, but this means that the, the living, that Christian hope is always something supernatural. It's never simply rational, something you can calculate. Now that doesn't mean we live in a magical world where there are no natural rules that are followed, but it does mean that our hope goes beyond the natural rules. Look back at our scripture in 1 Peter, and this time we're going into verse 4 as well. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance. We're, in, we're into genetics here. We're in biology class. Because we have an inheritance that's connected with the DNA of the new birth and the living hope and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it talks not about just about Christ's resurrection, but if we can add to our three points in the slide, the resurrection of Christ initiates a new birth, which initiates a living hope continuing through our lives and ends in our own resurrection. And this hope that we have in this life is part of the DNA that's from heaven, that is spiritual, and that is eternal. It's not a matter of odds. It's not a matter of wishful thinking. Our hope is always of a different quality. 
about when we say, oh, I hope so, on our way to Las Vegas. <laughs> there are two extremes. There's, there's a, a, a sure thing, and then there's a long shot. And uh, everything in between is involved in the her hope, the rational hope that, that we have, or irrational hope, as we go to Las Vegas. Hope that is based on rationality and calculation. You can measure the odds of what's going to come up as you toss those dice. They're pretty awful. I checked uh, measurable odds. The measurable odds of you being struck by lightning in your lifetime, this one surprisingly high to me, is 1 in 1,530. Somebody figured that out. The measurable odds of you giving birth to twins is 1 in 250. That's higher than I thought. The odds of you being killed in a car crash is 1 in 11 million. That's somewhat comforting. Now, when you get into the odds of being killed in a plane crash, they're a lot higher, but you have to distinguish people fly a lot, then the odds are, are lower. But if you never get in an airplane, the odds are zero. So you can be sure of that one. The odds of being audited by the IRS in the year 2019 were 1 in 220. The odds of your car being stolen is 3 in 1,000. Uh, the odds of your being dealt a royal flush. Now, how many of you know what a royal flush is? Shame on you. That means you played poker or something like that. So when you deal out cards and you get ace, king, queen, jack, ten of one suit, that's a royal flush. That's really hard to get. Here's how hard it is. The odds of being dealt a royal flush is 1.5 in 1 million. So don't bet a lot of money on that. Now, the author of this list said, <clears throat> the odds of your being born, you being born, considering the DNA and all the possible, this would be the probability that started it all, but what are the chances of any one human being existing at all? Well, they're not infinitely small. The odds are not stacked in your favor. Your parents had to meet. You had to be conceived from a specific sperm out of thousands and a specific egg. You had to be born and your ancestors had to go through all the same thing for generations before you or your parents were born. After all that, here are the odds of you as a person with your specific DNA being born. One in 5.5 trillion. 
Now, can you imagine somebody who really went through that process? <laughs> he has no social life. <laughs> but the author adds, however, if you're reading this, you beat those tough odds, <laughs> and congratulations are in order. Now, in contrast to all of that, which are uh, varying degrees of long shots. Living hope is a sure thing. See, why it's a sure thing is because it's made of the DNA of eternity. The nature of the payout and the amount of the payout may not be predictable to us since we're amateurs <laughs> at spiritual life at eternal life on what it all means. But the fact of the payout is a sure thing. It's as if we entered the lottery and we were guaranteed that every player would win more than their ticket cost. By the way, the odds on winning the lottery are about one in 300 million. Peter, later in the first chapter, returns to the subject of hope, this living hope. It's a bit surprising, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Now, why I say it's a bit surprising is, if hope is a sure thing, why do we have to set it? Why, why do we have to enter into the process at all? Why didn't it just happen? And uh, the ultimate reality of our inheritance is emphasized by that phrase, when, that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Go down to verse 21. Through him, you have come to trust God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are set. There's that word set again on God. So in verse 13, he said, set all your hope on the grace. And here he says, set your hope on God. And the reason for that is some of us as Christians set our hope on things, on rational odds, on, on the kind of categories that Las Vegas uses. And we have this eternal hope DNA, and yet we still treat it as if it's something that we have to accomplish. And the flower of hope is kind of fragile. And sometimes we destroy our hope in our attempt to fix what God has done. Our hope is living because we have been born again. And when we try to guarantee it by our own effort, we may be squashing what is struggling to emerge in our lives.
but thanks God for the ultimate victory. Our hope is living because we have been born again. Here's a quote from an 18th century commentator, a man by the name of Alfred DeWitt, talking about this passage. It is a life of hope, a life in which hope is the energizing principle. The life of the Christian has life in itself, gives life, and looks for life as its object. And what kind of life is it? It's eternal life. It's spiritual life. It's life of a quality which cannot be measured in earthly categories. That's the DNA that's in us. And we underestimate the power that's in us because we think it's our power. But if we would remind ourselves as the aging Peter does here, that we are born again from above and that in us is a living hope that can't be stopped because it's eternal and it will bring us to completion in the day of Christ. Your hope as a believer has the DNA of eternity. Let's pray. Our Lord, thank you for the reminder that the work that's being done in our lives is being done by you. And Paul told us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because we know it is you who work in us. And so help us, Lord, to just be buoyed by the confidence that this spiritual DNA cannot be ultimately destroyed. We pray that our false hopes may be destroyed because they're not worthy and they're not lasting. But help us to know that our living hope comes from our new birth which comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Help us to know this deep in our hearts with joy. In his name, amen. We meet in Altadena every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific, both in the sanctuary and on YouTube. Most other events will be starting up soon, but if you need prayer now, please reach out to us at altabapprayer at aol.com. And again, as always, we pray God's blessings on you this week.